Welcome to the Influence and Impact Podcast for Female Leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. We're talking careers in this week's episode of the podcast. And in particular, this will be a great podcast episode for you if you are at that stage of your career where perhaps you're feeling quite unfulfilled, quite frustrated, not sure that you're in the right place for you or maybe in the right career for you, or if you've reached that point where you're thinking this just isn't sustainable, I can't do another few years that look like this. I need things to change, but I don't know. I don't know what the options are. I don't know what I feel confident enough to do. That's exactly what we're talking about today with Dr. Hannah Roberts, author of Intentional Careers for STEM Women. Now, before those of you who don't work in STEM or don't know what STEM is, uh, switch off this episode. Don't do that. This is equally relevant to uh, any woman who is thinking that they want to be intentional about their career, that they want to take control of their career or that they just want to feel a little bit more normal about some of the ups and downs that they're experiencing in their career. Dr. Hannah Roberts is the founder of Intentional Careers, author of Amazon number one bestseller, Intentional Careers for STEM Women, and she also hosts the Women in STEM Career and Confidence podcast, which is a top UK podcast. Hannah is an award-winning coach on a mission to eradicate inequity in the workplace by guiding professionals to design careers for fulfillment with a mindset for leadership to build progressive workplace cultures where every individual feels valued. Hannah is uniquely positioned as a scientist, mum of three with a background in corporate and academia. She was managing director of a spin-out company before pivoting into coaching, speaking and training in 2019. She has clients spanning six continents and is a certified one of many women's leadership coach and trainer with a professional certified coach credential from the International Coaching Federation and has been a member of the Forbes Coaches Council since 2022. Hannah has a huge passion for the work that she does and I really enjoyed this conversation where we talk about, well, what even is an intentional career um, versus what she calls an unconscious career? And then she has this wonderful five-stage career journey so that you can go from feeling like you need to prove yourself um, and like you're not really taking any control of your career right through to having what she calls a leadership mindset. So we go through those stages together. And then finally, she talks a bit about career pivots and what we can do if we're not feeling like we're perhaps in the right place or the right role for us. So I'm going to roll that episode in a moment. Um, apologies for my really, really croaky voice. It disappeared a couple of days ago. Just about backing off to do this. Um, but there's a lot more Hannah talking than me talking. You'll be pleased to hear because I'm sorry that I sound so terrible. Um, other than that, we are about to start the next cohort of Be Bolder tomorrow. So I'm excited 
about that and helping women with their confidence and assertiveness and overcoming gender bias in the workplace. And we have an Influence for Success workshop coming up on the 21st of November for those of you that really want to develop those advanced influencing skills and help to make sure that your organization values you and what your team bring to the organization. So um, I'd love to see you at one of those if they resonate with you. In the meantime, let's dive into how you can take control of your career and how you can understand what exactly needs to change in order to bring you fulfillment in your career. So I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Hannah Roberts to the podcast. Hannah, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much for inviting me, Carla. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. So your book's called Intentional Careers for STEM Women. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to write this particular book? Sure. So for those people who don't know what STEM is, first of all, it's science, technology, engineering, and maths. And I am a scientist by trade. So I have a degree, master's, PhD, and postdoc in chemistry, and then spent eight years managing large multi-million pound projects between academia and industry across the world um, and commercializing the research. So one of those projects was starting a spin-out company with three other female academics and I was managing director of that company for a couple of years. And I did that phase of my life while having my three children, who are now 11, nine, and five and a half, as Elsie likes to say. And it was on my third mat leave where I decided to retrain to be a coach. And then after that, I started doing speaking and training as part of it. Um, so that was in 2018 when that happened. So I guess I've been doing this for like four, nearly five years now. So it feels like uh, it's my, I don't know, uh, a second career, should we say. Excellent. And it talks about an intentional career. And in the book, you also talk about that versus an unconscious career. What is, how are you defining an intentional career? Yeah, so in the book, I've got this infographic, which takes you through the five different stages of an, an intentional career journey. And I'll kind of like back it on with the other question as well. So when I first started working with coaching clients, like primarily they wanted three major outcomes from me, a better work-life balance, an increase in confidence, and more career fulfillment. And really understanding that what's next question. People come and say, well, I don't really know what's next in my career. I keep getting asked, you know, what do you want to be in five years, 10 years? And I'm like, I don't know. So it's helping people to not just be able to make that next career pivot, but also to be able to self-navigate beyond that or like the rest of your career as well. And I found that over time I'd innovated, well, first of all, people were going through a series of predictable and repeatable steps in their careers. So that's the intentional career journey. Um, and I'll briefly describe them for you. So the first stage is largely the unconscious phase of your career. This is where you might have actively stepped onto what I call the career convey belt, where you just make a choice and then it's suddenly, oh, now I do this and now I do this and an opportunity presents itself to you. And you kind of follow that pathway and you kind of go, oh, well, I haven't really made that many 
of my own decisions for quite some time. I've sort sort of been shaped and molded to fit someone else's purpose here. And the hallmarks of an unconscious career is one where you step into that proving phase of, oh, I really need to prove myself here and, you know, seeking out that positive feedback. You might be doing a lot of pleasing, so saying yes to everything, becoming that go-to person to get things done. And that slips you into the realm of overworking. So those are the three kind of hallmarks of the unconscious phase. And then people tend to drift then into stage number two, which is unfulfilled. So this is when you're overworking. So you start to feel a bit underappreciated for all of that hard work, underpaid. And then you start to feel overlooked. So there might be someone who comes in behind you, leapfrogs ahead of you. And you start to feel like, why is that not happening for me? You start to feel a bit stuck in the unfulfilled phase. And then you take a step into layer number three, which is probably the worst phase to be in. This is the unsustainable phase where you don't have clarity on the what's next question. Also, your confidence has been eroded over all of that time. And you're going, but I've got 25 plus 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 years to go in my career. So I need something to change, but I just don't know how to take that step and I don't know where to go. So that's the kind of the point where lots of people go, let me just jump ship into that bright, shiny object over there without really understanding it's, it's an away from motivation. Let me get away from this one, go over here without defining what you actually want to move towards. And often what people can do is take that leap and then the same challenges keep replaying out again and again. So then stage number four is purposeful. This is where you do take the time to actually define where it is that you're heading. So you've got alignment between what I call your purpose, your mission and vision. You've restored your confidence and you've reclaimed some boundaries. So you've got balance in your life. And then those who are impurposeful can step up into stage number five, which is feeling valued, where you don't just sort of have alignment on the next step. You can take that long-term trajectory. So leadership mindset, self-navigation, and true authenticity where who you are at home and who you are at work and who you are with anyone is the same person. You're showing your true authenticity. So what I often say to people is you don't have to go one, two, three, four, five. You actually um, can just go straight to four and five. So you don't have to go through all of that pain if you're not there right now. Um, So that's the good part about it. Excellent. And then if you swap jobs, do you then often start back at one or do you just move across at the same level you're actually already at? Well, this is the thing most people do. They they move across to a new job and then start in the I'm proving myself again phase for at least 12 to 18 months. So in the work that I do, I teach people not to make that drop, but to stay at level four or moving up to level five um, as much as possible. But obviously we're only human. So of course there might be a phase of, ah, Uh, stage one before you go, oh, I remember how to do this without doing that. And do you think men go through a similar, the similar five stages or do you think it's different for women? Um, I know I've written this specifically for women because that's my area of focus, but whenever I do mixed groups, so I'll often do mixed kind of workshops, um, I don't tend to coach uh, just people who are identifying as men. Um, but I find that they come to me and they say, we're experiencing the exact same challenges. And what you're describing there is exactly how I feel about things. So I would say this framework probably represents 
like the vast majority of people. Of course, you always meet people who fall outside of any model that you create as well. Um, but yes, I say this is probably for everybody. Um, in fact, when I did my book launch at Microsoft, they said you should just scratch out the for women bits because this is just for everybody. But I kind of say to them, yes, and you could do it outside of STEM. It could be for any, like, any sector that you're in. But actually, I specifically, for my purpose, want to work with women in STEM. That makes sense. And I find the same when I run. We have a Be Bolder Confidence course, and, and it was created with women in mind. But for some clients, we run a gender-neutral version, and it is embraced equally, which is great and equally relevant. But it's nice to to speak to a particular audience and and for your particular audience to feel seen and heard and have someone go, oh, but that person gets me. I feel understood. And it's not just me. I find that's one of the things the podcast is really helpful for, your book, my book as well, this idea of, oh, actually, we're not alone in what we're experiencing. It's it's completely normal. There are actually some really good reasons why we're experiencing that. Oh, for sure. And I, I get that from the feedback I've had from the book. It's are oh, you're describing how I'm, you know, how I feel perfectly. It's exactly, you know, exactly what's going on for me. So I like that kind of feedback as well. As you were describing it, I was thinking about my coaching clients. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're in stage one. Uh, yeah, we had a conversation just today about stage two. Um, and I find a lot of people looking for career coaching specifically at that unsustainable stage three, because then it's become so painful, you just can't ignore it. Exactly, exactly. And that's the please don't do the bright, shiny object thing. Let's do it properly. Absolutely. And you know, obviously your background is STEM. What do you think is unique about working in STEM? I'm not sure it's unique to STEM. I think it's any kind of um, area where there's a particularly male-dominated field. So for example, I was in chemistry and you'd have to look up the statistics in various different fields. But in an academic pathway, you've got 43% of the intake in chemistry degrees as women. But when you get all the way up to prof, like prof level, professor level, it's 9% currently. So you, you have a huge leaky pipeline of talents. And that's what I really care about. Yes, there's some amazing people doing the, um, the stuff with early, early years where they're really helping girls in particular and boys, but at an earlier stage, believe that that's a possibility for them. And if you don't get that early enough, they don't even think that scientists can be women, for example, because of all of the things that you see out there. Um, although this is changing now. But there has to be this piece around retention and elevation of the women that are already in that pipeline. And that's what I really see as one of the biggest challenges in STAN. That makes sense. Um, my son is now watching on TV, Ada Twist Scientist. So hopefully that message is getting through about um, girls and women in science and embracing that. And there was something, there was um, a metaphor that you shared within the book, within the proving cycle about this idea of being a cup and recognition and approval are your beverage of choice. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think it will really resonate with people. Yeah, so I know for a lot of my clients um, in the proving cycle, we're always kind of seeking out external people to validate us in some way. Like if I do this piece of work and it's taken me evenings and weekends, like that pleasing kind of thing, the silent hook or condition is that you have to thank me or you have to praise me or you have to promote me in some way. 
And what happens in the proving cycle is your self-esteem doesn't actually increase. It decreases over time. Because if I'm pleasing and it doesn't go well or I don't get that external recognition, I feel under-resourced in some way. When we're under-resourced, then another like mini hit or mini perceived failure depletes it further. And so your confidence doesn't stay static over time. It actually decreases over time. And this is when we talk about this metaphor of like us being a cup and the external recognition being poured in, you know, like a cup of tea, it's like pouring it into the top. But because of what's going on, uh, how we feel about ourselves, our own self-esteem, it's like there's holes in the cup and all of the drips like going through. So what we do in coaching is actually help people to essentially glue back the holes in the cup, fill our own cup. And then if somebody else does happen to give us some recognition, it's like your cup can be overflowing, but let's do that for ourselves first. I really love that. And it reminds me of um, in Buddhism, they talk about the hungry ghost um, and this idea that you that we need this validation from other people, but however much we get, it doesn't actually fulfill us because we need to get it from ourselves instead. Um, so I really love that analogy. I can see that that would make sense to a lot of people. And so let's talk, we, you know, I think lots of people will resonate with that those first three stages. Um, and there are probably people listening going, yep, that's me, or that was me at a certain point. What does the, the fifth stage, leadership mindset, what does that look like? Yeah, this one is a little bit more challenging to describe, but I will do my very best to make it simple. So we all have different voices in our heads, right? So one voice might say, go for a walk at lunchtime. It's beautiful outside. It's actually not, but yes, today. Um, and the other voice says, no, sit at your desk, eat your lunch. You've got 100 emails. You'll feel so much better if you just like, get to the bottom of the list. Now, depending upon which voice is strongest determines which action that you take next. So we all have these voices in our heads. They're all often in conflict with each other, but we have a series of voices in particular, maybe three or four that are super strong for people, like a strong pusher, this woman with a really big to-do list or a strong pleaser that has to say yes to everything, or a strong perfectionist who wants to make sure that everything is done to a really, really high standard. So when we have those strong voices, it's like we don't have a choice. It's like playing chopsticks on the piano, like with four keys going, duh, 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 and expecting a different tune to emerge. So I help people work at what I call the identity level so that situation, situational things don't keep replaying out again and again. We actually change things at the identity level, like getting are uh, pushers, pleasers, perfectionists into a helpful range so we get access to all the keys on our piano again. And that's what we call wholeness, like getting uh, all parts of us in sync. And wholeness is essentially authentic, like true authenticity. I like that concept of wholeness. That sounds, it just sounds comforting in itself, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, and so... Stage four, this is getting into alignment. Does that link to within your book? You talk about career pivots and the three different types of career pivots. Is that the point at which you're making those career pivots and that alignment stage? Exactly, yes. The career pivots come from getting alignment between your purpose, your mission, and your vision. So people often really confuse those three concepts. Even the biggest companies on the planet often have vision statements that are missions and all kinds of stuff. So in brief, our purpose lies in the past. 
That's where our passions arose from. And then our mission is in the present. That's what we have personal power over because we can change our mission at any time. And that's quite um, liberating, I would say. If you don't like our current mission, we can change it. And then our vision is out there in the future. It's what we care about the most. It's the big difference we feel called to make. And that's where you can get the navigation piece because often in the unconscious phase of your career, you're just trying to be something. Like, I'm just going to be a doctor. I'm just going to be a professor. I'm just going to be a CEO. And you fail to reach that or achieve it. And you feel like a failure in some cases. Whereas if we just have a really strong vision and we're always moving towards it, there is no failure. There's just progress along a pathway. And so the career pivots actually come from what do I do if I want to change my current mission? And what are the three different, different pivots that I can make? Brilliant. Now, I'm going to ask you about those. But first, I'm dying to know about your purpose, uh, mission, a vision. Can you share that with us to bring it to life a bit? <laughs> no pressure. I can do. I can do. I tried to actually remember them in full now. Um, it's probably easiest to start with my vision. So my vision is having a world that works for everybody. My particular mission is around STEM women. So making sure that STEM women... Um, feel valued in the workplace so that they can make their biggest contribution in the world and make that impact that makes the world work for everybody. And my purpose is essentially to help everybody feel valued. I love it. Um, and so I'm trying to, so the mission and vision make total sense to me. The purpose I've never heard of it is being in the, like looking at the past before. So how has your past informed that purpose of yours? I mean, so much, often people talk about um, purpose in lots of different ways, but usually it's the kind of four to five key uh, themes that keep replaying out throughout your life. Sometimes it can be due to a negative first experience. Sometimes they can be positive experiences. And what I say to people is create a timeline of your life and plot on it like five really positive things and five really negative things. And then ask you some, drill down, ask yourself some questions about each one of those. Like, how does that relate to what you're doing now? What did you learn or discover in that particular thing? And usually it drops down into some key themes. So for one of mine, it's motivating and inspiring people. For another one, it's, um, I, I have this drive to kind of overdo things, which could be seen as negative, but um, I see it as quite like a, now I can curtail it. It's more of a positive thing. Um, and ultimately, you can kind of distill them into one sentence. And mine is just that I, I personally want to feel valued. And that's how it's expressed in the mission and then in the vision as well. Fantastic. People, anyone who wants to work on this, you definitely need to get the book and read how to do it in depth. There's so much in the book, way beyond careers, actually, but I, we, we chose to focus on this as something that would stand out as an episode. Okay, so career pivots. Can you talk us through some of those, please? So there are three career pivots as I see them, as I say. Um, everyone can obviously have other pivots as well. But the first one is around when you have a um, an issue with career values alignment. So for example, I had a client called Dr. Judith Simon. She was a postdoc and wanting to look at maybe moving beyond that outside of academia. And she's experiencing career values conflict, which means that 
The values that you hold as a person when it comes to your career are in conflict with the values of the organization. So she really um, wanted a great work-life balance, but no matter how much she advocated for that in the workplace, it just as standard, you have to work evenings and weekends, even though it wasn't in the contract, that was just a standard operating of that particular group. So in order to fix a career values conflict, the first thing is advocating for yourself. If that doesn't work, then in order to change the current mission, focus on career values alignment and find a new organization that matches those career values. And so when she then went for interview at this other company called RQM Plus, she actually asked them about what do you do about work when when people are going on holiday and they're like, oh, we spread it between the team and we really look after our people. And she spoke to some people that work there and they said, yeah, yeah, no, I've got really great work-life balance. So she was really focusing on that and ensuring that that was a reality of the lived experience of people that work there. And so when she focused on that, got the new job, she then had a new mission in the present. That's the first career pivot. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I was talking to a client about that just today, actually, and we were talking about how do you, when you go for a new job, how do you make sure you're not going from the what's the phrase frying pan into the fire? Like how do you, when culture is so important to you and the values of the organization are so important to you, how do you make sure that you're making those right decisions? So I like that idea of talking to, obviously asking the specific questions and also talking to other people that work there. Is there anyone else, anything else anyone can do to to try and establish what it's actually like within an organization? Um, I think for me personally, I tried to get my clients to do 15-minute conversations with people in lo- like multiple different um, arenas within a particular organization to get their feel for it. Um, but short of like showing up and actually experiencing it, you're probably not going to know until you really get there. Yeah, I like that idea of 15-minute conversations. Um, and I think it's just then having the courage to ask for those because many of us as women always put other people's needs before our own, don't we? So it feels like, oh, I'm going to ask someone to take 15 minutes out of their busy day to help us. How would you encourage someone to to reach out and do that? Would you do it via the the hiring manager directly or would you do it in a different way, do you think? No, I always ask people to, as part of the process of uh, professional positioning, to start to increase their network on LinkedIn and particularly have a gold list of your top 10 list of organizations you would love to work in, making 10 new connections a day, people in the group that you might want to work in and general people in that organization. So you might have built up a network and then to find someone that you have in common and either ask them for an introduction to that person or if you don't, just be bold and actually ask. Um, and you're asking for 15 minutes of someone's time. If they don't have 15 minutes or they don't want to, they will either ignore you or they will politely decline. They'll say no. But what I found is the vast majority of people actually say yes, if you ask in the right way. And um, and they want to be of service. They want to be helpful to the people. And that makes them feel good as well. So don't feel that it's all one-sided. People often like to talk about themselves and their experiences, and it's seen as a positive thing to do. That's a great reframe. Thank you. And for those of you who who don't use LinkedIn a lot, it's absolutely fine to send connection requests to people you don't know. Oh. I've got like 15,000 about, like, genuinely do not know all of them. 
Um, but I always people send them to me, and I always really welcome them. So I think it's LinkedIn is is very good like that, and people are generally really really helpful. They're really busy, so they might not see your message, so they're not. Don't think that you're necessarily being blanked, but I think it's great to use that as a tool. Thanks, Hannah. So that's the values conflict. Tell us about the other career pivots. Okay, the second one is the capability trap. So if you don't know what that term actually means, it comes from Meredith Gray in season 16 of Grey's Anatomy. And she says, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. So this is when you might have learned how to be really good and capable no doubt, like all of my clients are very capable at doing any job, but it might not be a natural talent for you. And when that happens, often you can reach the ceiling of, yeah, I'm really capable, but it feels like hard work. My motivation isn't quite there. I have to almost like activate myself to get this thing done. Whereas when you step into your natural talents, you step into a flow state, work actually becomes fun. It becomes easy and you can be in that situation of, oh, someone's actually paying me for this. Um, That's kind of crazy. And when that happens, you often master those skills much faster and you accelerate and therefore step into your leadership faster. And you can also find roles that align to those natural talents. So if you're in that career pivot, focusing on the capability trap means focusing on what are my natural talents, alignment to those talents. And you can do that within your same organization if that role is available. Or you can do it externally. So find a new organization that has those types of roles. And then you get a new mission. Fantastic. And I love a Grey's Anatomy quote. I've been saying for a long time, just because you can do something doesn't mean you need to, without realizing that that had been absorbed through my many hours of watching Grey's Anatomy. Um, In fact, Shonda Rhimes, the creator of it, she wrote a great book called The Year of Yes. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a really inspiring book because lots of her strong female leads come kind of from her brain. So I definitely recommend reading that. Um, I love that capability trap. And it also aligns a bit with um, Gay Hendricks' zone of genius model. Have you come across that one? No. So his idea, and it was aimed at entrepreneurs, but I think it really does apply in the workplace as well is that the tasks and activities we do fit into one of four zones. So there's your zone of incompetence, so the things you're really not very good at uh, and drain your energy. Then there's your zone of competence, so the things you're fine at and don't drain your energy, but they don't give you any energy. Then there's your zone of excellence, which is usually your specialist skills. Um, You enjoy doing them, you've developed expertise in them. And then the top sort of 5-10% of that is your zone of genius. And that's that idea of, of being in flow, those natural strengths, and, and and really helping people to hone and own those. And his idea is that as you, well, his idea as an entrepreneur is just outsource everything in, in the zone of competence and incompetence. My, my reading of that in the career world is that as we develop our careers, we spend a lot less time in those two zones around incompetence. Um, and we really get clear on how can we spend more time in our zone of genius and our zone of excellence. Um, and he suggests spending 10 minutes a day kind of honing your zone of genius, those strengths. Um, so again, a really nice model as a way of of looking at that. And I just like the idea of people going around saying, I've got a zone of genius. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a really good fit for this, for sure. And then the final one is around disconnected vision. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So for this one, often if you're in the unconscious phase, you've been sold on somebody else's vision. So 
like when I went into my postdoc, the PI there was like, oh yeah, we're going to work on sugars and it's going to change your world because blah, 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 blah. And you get, oh, I really care about sugars. They're amazing because they're going to blah, blah, blah. But over time, if it's not your particular vision or it's not an alignment with your vision, you can find, oh, I've really disconnected from it. I don't care quite as much about this. And the work then becomes a lot harder. So I often say to people, it's that realignment of focusing on what actually do I care about the most in the world? Is there alignment in the current workplace? Is there a way in which I can have that? Is there any overlap between my personal mission, or sorry, my personal vision and the organization's mission, uh, vision? See, the terms are so like intertwined. So vision on vision, you wouldn't like a Venn diagram where there's some crossover between them. You ideally want to try and maximize the crossover. But if you can't, then you need to look at an organization that does have alignment to that vision. Okay. And is that the point where you see quite a lot of people going out on their own, starting their own thing because they've got this really clear vision that they don't see elsewhere? Not necessarily. So I would say that visions are quite um, familiar is what I would say. Most people's visions fall within some kind of context, like, If you looked at the 17 global goals for sustainable development, usually people's vision falls within a few of those categories. And there were always organizations already working towards that particular thing. So I always encourage people to look. First of all, you don't always have to start something new by yourself and it be your one and only thing. You can sort of be in collaboration with other people. You can already tap into what already exists. So yes, sometimes people want to set out by their own, but I would say that's because they choose that vehicle because it aligns to who they are as a person. They might be quite entrepreneurial, like wearing many hats and uh, quite risk okay, but that vehicle may not be okay for someone who is more risk adverse or who really likes working within a leadership structure or a particular team environment or needs a regular paycheck. Doesn't always work that way with entrepreneurism. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> and, and I think that's, and it's good to be realistic, isn't it, as well? Because lots of us are making decisions about careers, but it's not like we have this completely blank sheet where real life doesn't exist and we can just do whatever we feel like doing. Many of us are breadwinners or providing vital money to our household or don't have flexibility on location or or certain things. So I think it's great that you kind of build into the book and your thinking and coaching that that reality check as well. I think it always comes back to your life values as well. A lot of people say to me, well, um, my family is really important to me and I'm trying to make this decision and I just don't know how to make a decision about moving countries or taking this role. And when I ask them about their life values, often their family or what they get from their family, so love, connection, intimacy, like happiness, actually them can often sit above the career value. And if that's the case, you're going to pass it through that filter first. Whereas for other people, career may come like above family and that's okay too. There's no judgment there, but it's going to run through that filter first. So you're going to make potentially different decisions depending upon your own like life values. Do you see a difference in terms of the stage of life that you're talking to people at? So I found when I was coaching a lot of people in their 30s, um, it was like everything's possible and it's all about career and that side of things. 
even if they were about to have kids or in their first few years of having kids. Now I've got a lot of clients who are in their mid to late 40s, early 50s. And a lot of them are in a place of going, I don't, yes, I know I want to retire in 20 years and I want to do something meaningful, but I don't feel like I can look 20 years ahead at the moment. I feel like I can only really cope with the next 18 months, two years. Do you see people at different life stages responding differently? I know what you're getting at because sometimes people have that kind of, I don't want to call it midlife crisis, but I'll call it like a midlife unraveling of wanting to do something more purposeful. And that can kind of happen any time from, I know it's for some people it's in their twenties, but like mid thirties to mid forties, shall we say. But for my clients, the vast majority of them are stuck in a fear cycle, which would prevent them from even contemplating doing something like wild or wacky. The first stage is just to kind of get to the really the root cause of the fear, let that stuff go to be able to take empowered next decisions. But often when I see clients who I've worked with for two years or four years, some of them are now going, Oh, I quite like I'm I'm possibly going to start my own business or I'm I'm thinking into the possibility of. And that's what I love being able to see people like dream bigger into the possibility of what they are truly capable of rather than what they, the fear state tells them they can do. Yeah. Fantastic. And then there's a lot in the book and we've covered quite a lot in the podcast, but if there was one takeaway you wanted people to take from either the book or from this conversation, what would it be? I think it's probably what we've talked about already, that inside out revolution If you want to be respected by other people, you have to first learn how to respect yourself. If you want to be valued by other people, recognized, you first need to learn how to value yourself. It works for whatever you want more of. It has to start from within. Yeah. And your book is a great place to start to do that work. So Hannah, if people want to find out more about you, we'll obviously put the links in the show notes, um, but where can they go to find out more? The best place to go is to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Hannah Roberts Coaching. Um, and I hope to sort of see you all out there in the LinkedIn world. So do go and connect with Hannah if this has resonated with you. Um, it's an excellent book. I read a lot of books for my job. Um, and there's so much in there, so many useful tools. And I think you will read it and feel really understood, which I think is such an important part of the book and what makes it work. So thank you so much, Hannah, for writing the book, uh, your vision, your mission and your vision are super exciting. And I look forward to watching you achieve them. But thanks very much for sharing your insights with us today. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please do go into your podcast player, whichever one it is, and hit follow or subscribe. That means that you'll get every episode delivered to your device and it also tells the podcast platforms that this is a podcast worth listening to. Um, So head over now and hit follow or subscribe today.